In this episode, we speak with Denise Kavanaugh. Denise is devoted to helping people show up and bring their best selves to the table in order to create significant positive impact in their lives. She's the creator of the IEP method, Intentional and Energetic Presence. She's an advisor and thinking partner to leaders and organizations around the world and author of Contagious Culture, Show Up, Set the Tone, and Intentionally Create an Organization that Thrives. She's actually written a new book called Contagious You, which dropped this month. We're really pleased to have her on the show. Real Life Superpowers Welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. So uh, congratulations on your new book. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. It's, uh, it, just, it just came out, so it's, it's, it's exciting to see what it's um, doing as it makes its way into the world. And I feel really excited that I get to see you like this after we got time at Inbound in Boston a couple months ago. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's been really good. Yeah, I saw your talk and it made an impact on me. Uh, so I'd love to cover some of the things that I heard on the talk so, so our listeners will also get a chance to hear you. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about the book? Sure, sure. So uh, the book is called Contagious You, Unlock Your Power to Influence, Lead, and Create the Impact You Want. And it's the follow-on to the book Contagious Culture that I wrote back in 2015. Um, and we really dig into the contagious culture. I really looked at organizational health and you know, how do we create a positively contagious culture? And the big surprise in that book back in 2015 was that all of us are the culture. You know, most people tend to think that culture is happening around us. Um, you know, it's, it's imposed upon us versus what I believe and what I've seen in over 20 years of doing this work is that actually we are the culture. How we show up in everything we do creates the culture in our organizations, in our families, in our teams. And so that was the focus of that book. And then after that book over the last four years, being in rooms with all different kinds of human beings in different industries and all over the world, what I kept seeing was there was a deeper level of conversation to be had around how contagious we are each personally um, around our leadership. And so Contagious You really goes deeper into, you know, what is your personal leadership style? How are you showing up? What is your intentional energetic presence, which is the body of work, the methodology I created to help people have a better energetic presence and to be even more effective in their leadership. Um, and, and the book just really focuses on you as a, as a human. How did you decide to make a book? And like, how do you, like, how do you write a book? Like you decided one day just to, to write that book and, and, and. <laughs> oh, I, I already love your questions. Um, <laughs> so, so for me, you know, I, I always, I've been writing since, I mean, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. And I, but I was writing, you know, blog posts and articles and, um, you know, I'd write, I'd guest write for different columns and stuff, um, just based upon this work. And what happened for me with contagious culture, the first big book that I wrote was every time I would come out of a session or get off stage, people would ask me, how do they bring this work forward in their life? And so I started to really get this call for, okay, not only do I want to write a book, not only would that be really exciting and fun. And, and I was really curious about what that process would look like. But I also got this call for, well, if something ever bit happened to me, like how would this work get paid forward in a way that people could do this without ever meeting me? They could care, you know. And so then it became 
something I was really interested in, in putting all of this methodology into an actual book and putting all of my, like getting my brain, getting everything out of my brain and my heart and putting it on paper. And so that was, that was kind of how contagious culture started was me going, all right, I want to spread this message more and I want to serve as many people as possible. And I want to touch as many human beings as possible on this planet. So in order to do that, the most scalable way to do that is to do it in a book. So that was the decision with contagious culture. Do you feel like you're essentially a channel uh, and that your knowledge is something that sort of uh, landed in you in a sense or that you were able to uh, be aware enough to accept it? It sounds like yeah. you're, you're feeling like you're channeling something uh, from, I don't know if it's another dimension or you tell us and then to yeah. humanity in a way. Yeah, I think um, it's, I love that. I love that, that reflection. I, uh, I believe that we all have our, our divine um, areas of expertise and our talents and our gifts that part of the reason why we're on the planet is to pay those gifts forward. And I think for me, I've been obsessed since I was, I mean, as long as I can remember, but really since I was about 14 years old, I, I've been obsessed with performance. I've been obsessed with, you know, how do people show up? How does that affect the impact that they have? Um, I've been obsessed with self-care. You know, how does how we take care of ourselves really impact our ability to influence other people and to, to get done what we want to get done. And, and so there's been a, there's been an ongoing interest I've had in that. And then as I look back at my life, every single thing that I did from going to school to the jobs I took to even the people I hung out with, every single thing lined up with that obsession. And, you know, and I just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And then as I practiced it more for myself Then I started to really get, you know, what I think of as that call, which was, it came from my heart. Like none of this work really comes from my head. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it comes from my heart because I feel this, for lack of a better word, like this groundedness and this presence around how important I believe that this work is, how important I believe it is for us to be intentional about our lives, to take good care of ourselves and to be really present. And so the more balanced and grounded I got in the body of work that I was building, the more uh, compelled and called, I felt to share it with as many people as possible. And then once I kind of surrendered to that and really went, all right, like I'm a, I'm a channel, I'm just going to give everything I've got. Then the information came even more freely and even writing contagious you, especially with contagious you, there was so much information that showed up for me that I didn't get from my head. I got it from my heart. I mean, spirit, whatever you want to call it. Um, where even now when I go back and I read certain parts of that book, I'll go, Oh my God, I forgot about that. And then I learn again. You know, so I think that, I think that we all have our callings and I think that it's our job and our responsibility and our opportunity to really listen to that and then to honor the call and see what shows up. And every time we honor it, then it gets louder. That's, that's my belief. But how did you figure out your methodology for this? I mean, you're saying this has been since you were almost a child, but I'm yeah. guessing, you know, the younger you, the further we look back, there must've been more. Uh, question marks than answers was yeah. it was it because yeah. of feedback though like did you get a lot of feedback from from what you're what were you thinking or how well, are you acting well there's there's a couple there's a couple things that come up for me when you ask that is so the first thing is when I was in when I was 14 years old my I had had this experience my parents had gone through a really brutal brutal divorce like brutal and every you know every every divorce I think is brutal in its own way but this one was really this one was yucky And I was the oldest of four girls and we couldn't pay our bills. And so I was 14 years old. So I went and started working. So I went and I got a job at Baskin Robbins and 
it was funny because when I did it, when I went in to do the interview, you had to be 15 to work there. And so I actually lied on my application and said I was 15. And then I went in because I needed a job. Like, you know, like I needed a job. And I also was very mature. So I trusted I could do it, but I, but I lied. Like the bottom line is I, I fibbed on my application. And on my interview, the, uh, the owner at the very end of the interview, he says, is there anything else you want me to know? And I said, oh, yeah, I lied. I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> only 15. You know, and then and I can remember sitting, I can remember sitting in the booth at Baskin-Robbins. I can still remember the smell of like the freezers and the ice cream. And I said, I'm really sorry, um, but I really wanted this job. I need this job. And I said, and I thought that if I could just get my foot in the door and you met me, you'd give me a chance and we'd figure it out, you know? And he says, okay, well, thanks for your honesty and we'll let you know. And I left that interview and I thought, oh, I've blown it. It's over. You know, nothing's going to, like, oh my God, my career is ruined before it started. It was very dramatic. Career. And my career and uh, my Baskin Robbins career. And um, I got a call from them a couple days later and they said, uh, we're going to hire you. We're going to work out a special permit. You know, you can get a permit and stuff. And he said, we're going to, we're going to hire you. And I said, oh my gosh, why? Like I lied to you. And he said, because you have integrity and you told the truth. So we're hiring you because of your integrity. And I, you guys, I had to go look up what that meant because I had never heard that word before, but I just knew that I really liked that I had integrity. And I, and I knew, I remembered the feeling in my body of being afraid to tell the truth, but knowing the right thing to do is to tell the truth. And so that was a major moment in my life that ties into your bigger question you just asked, but that was a major moment where I went, I got in touch with what integrity meant and how good that felt. And then I wanted more of it. So then the next thing with that was later after starting that job, I was really having a hard time with my family situation. And I was, I was irritated because I wasn't playing sports like all the other kids were. I wasn't playing with my friends after school. I was doing homework, babysitting my sisters. And then I was going to work at Baskin Robbins. And so I was, I was kind of pissed off, you know, and, I remember I was uh, feeling really bad for myself one day and I was scooping. It was, it was New Year's Day and then I was really mad because New Year's Day, who works on New Year's Day, you know, when you're 14? <laughs> and I was scooping ice cream and I'm in the freezer and I'm thinking about how terrible my life is and how terrible my life is going to be. And all of a sudden I get this feeling and this messaging and this question that comes to me that says, well, Nice, what if, what if your life doesn't have to be terrible? What if what's happening is not happening to you, it's happening for you? And it's giving you skills that you can actually learn. Like you're working when you're this young. Like it's giving you skills to actually really go out and kick ass with your life. And that moment of scooping that ice cream, I got in touch with uh, the idea of making a decision, the idea of choice points and being able to choose. Like, do I want to be miserable or do I actually want to create something really great? And before I came out of that freezer, I had made a decision. I was going to create a really awesome life. And I came out of that freezer and I, I remember it was the same feeling in my body of just being super anchored into it. It was similar to the integrity thing of going, okay, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go out and I'm going to create something really cool. And I gave the ice cream. It was a double scoop of world-class chocolate. I'll never forget. I gave it to the guy and the guy tipped me a $5 bill. And I totally took that as an angel wink. I was like, see, I'm right on track. I'm right on track. So that was interesting. And then that just kind of moved me into really looking at how does health play into it? How does self-care, how does like all these different pieces, how does integrity play into what we do with our life? How does choices? And so then I went to school and I got my degree in kinesiology, which is the study of the body. So super, super obsessed with movement and nutrition and all these things. I got my degree in kinesiology. 
I went and I worked in clinical exercise, which was working with people who had had, you know, um, heart attacks or heart disease, like all these different pieces. And then I had my first child. And at that time I was still working for other companies. And when I had my baby, I decided that, um, I never wanted to work again. I just wanted to be with him all the time. And so I said, okay, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm retired. And that lasted about a year. And then after that year, I decided I want to get back into it, but I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. So what I did, and this is where the methodology comes in, is I took every single thing that I'd ever done in my life, every job, every, my work with athletes, my work with doctors, my work with people, like everything in, in corporate. I'd worked in corporate America for a while in health and productivity. And I took every single thing I'd ever done, and I created a job description on Post-its. You know, I had Post-its, and my son was taking a nap in the backseat of my car, and I didn't want to wake him up. So I sat there and I was like, wow, I really miss my work. What do I want to do? So I started to write out like, well, I loved working with athletes. Well, I loved doing this. Well, I loved doing that. And what I ended up doing was creating a job description, went home, was like, where's that job? Nobody had that job for me. And so then I said, well, I'm going to create a company out of it. So I created a company out of it and created my own job, did it very, very part-time for the first five years while I was, you know, raising my babies. And- but, but wait, wait, what was it? Because, you know, you created a lot of post-its uh, of things that you like to do. But what was like the main job that you were looking for? What was that description? Yeah, it was, it was performance optimization using a blend of everything that I had done in my life that I love. So performance optimization using a blend of physical training as well as leadership development and uh, life skills, basically. And so at that time, that was back in 2002, And life coaching, coaching, not even life coaching, just coaching was just kind of getting started as a profession. Um, and so what I did is I went and looked at how, what do I need to do to be better at this? And so it basically started as a coaching company. You know, I'm going to start, I'm going to start coaching people. And then that coaching turned into, I started to attract a lot of different business leaders. So then those business leaders needed more support. And I was using all the stuff I was already good at, but I didn't have my leadership credentials. So then I went, I got a leadership credential. So I just kept piling on all these different pieces. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of curious about something though. You said I, you made a job description yeah. and then you said, I couldn't find this job. So let's go yeah. make this company yeah. that I can work for. Right. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that the reason that they become an entrepreneur is because they want to make their own job? Maybe. I think so. I mean, I think, so my primary driver, honestly, was I was sitting in the front seat looking at my kid who was asleep and I really uh, didn't want to leave him. And so my, one of my primary intentions when I was looking at that job description and everything was what activities, what job would I be doing on a daily basis that would be meaningful enough that would be worth leaving my little kid behind? And oh, by the way, what could I do that would contribute to making a better world for him to grow up in? And so those were two of my criteria. And so I looked at, well, what would make me happy? You know, what would make me happy would be working around physical performance, mindset, you know, all the stuff, what would make money, you know? So when I looked at what would make money, it was like, well, how would I get paid for that? What would have meaning? You know, why would I be doing it? And then what could I actually do? What was my skill set? And so it was a combination of all that. And the reason why there wasn't a job for it is that when I looked at jobs, there was You know, I could go into performance optimization consulting. I can remember looking at a job for performance optimization, but it was very corporate. It was very much like, you know, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And it wasn't bringing into account like all the softer stuff. You know, it wasn't bringing it like the soft stuff was really important to me. And I put soft stuff in quotes because, you know, the soft stuff, it's titanium. It's actually the most important thing. And so 
when I was looking for this job initially, I didn't find anything that resonated for me. And I said, well, I want to, if I do this, I'm just gonna get sucked into corporate America. And that's gonna, that's, it's gonna exhaust me and I'm not gonna be a good parent. And so, you know, that's when I went, all right, well, let me create the app. Let me create a company that will allow me to do exactly what I want to do. And then as I got into that, that was, you know, that was in 2002. It was very, very like part-time, totally just kind of feeling it out and exploring and having fun with it in about 2007. In 2007, I kept getting feedback from clients the way I was working with them because I was calling it leadership development and performance. Um, but they were saying the way I was working with them was very different than any other coach or leadership advisor they'd worked with. And I kept getting that feedback. And so I started to really look at, well, what am I doing that's different? By 2009, I realized that the work really had legs and we were getting really good results for companies and for individuals, but I didn't know what I was doing still. I didn't, I was so close to it that I didn't know what the magic sauce was. So then I hired people to follow me around and I would have people sit in um, workshops, uh, training sessions, one-on-one consults. I would have them sit in there and I would, I would have them do what's called modeling. So they watch what's happening. They keep pulling, like, here's the things you keep doing. Here's the things you keep doing. And after doing that for a while, that's when I started to find the different components of the IEP method that I was doing over and over and over again with people that were getting them special results that traditional leadership development was not getting. Okay. And so what, what were those? Okay, good. So the IEP method is, it's three components. So the IEP method is first your ability to reboot your presence in the moment, which Noah, you were with me in inbound. So you experienced like that presence reboot. So the ability to reboot your presence in the moment, that's the first part. The second part of the methodology is the ability. I got to stop you because, you know, I was there, but I'm not sure uh, that it is clear to anyone listening. So uh, maybe give us an example of rebooting presence. Great. Okay. So before I get on this call with you, before we get on the call, let's just say there's a ton of stuff going on and I've just had another call and maybe that call was really a rough call or, you know, my kids are needing me right now or, or something and I'm not fully present or I'm bringing maybe really frantic energy or negative energy. So let's just say I had, a, let's just say I had a really bad morning and then now we're going to be together. Well, I have a couple choices. I can bring all my negative energy to this call. I can cancel the call, which I'm not going to do. I can pretend to be fine, right? Here, thank you. Um, I can pretend to be fine and fake it, which you guys are going to pick up on. Even people listening to this that can't see us talking, they would pick on that there's an inauthenticity in my presence. And so I have a couple of different choices or I can reboot. And the reboot is simply taking a breath, noticing, all right, what is my energy right now? How present am I? What am I going to bring into this next thing? And I simply take a breath, get present. I uh, set an intention uh, for how I want to show up now. Then I just take care of it. So usually taking care of it means I might need to go use the bathroom, heat up a cup of coffee, uh, just get present to what's happening now. It could be that... Um, you know, what I find is about 90% of the time, it's just about being aware that I wasn't totally present and I want to shift my state, you know, like that's it. And then stepping into it, that's the reboot. So you notice, you envision and intend, you take care of yourself, you step into it, and then you just rinse and repeat. I love that. I love that because it, it, the, the key thing, in my opinion, is that you're thinking about how you want the conversation to become and who you are in the conversation. And that moment, you're just thinking about like uh, what you're going to bring in and that like naturally reboots it. So I love that. 
it's, it's natural. And it's, and you know, the thing is, is that it's, so this work to me, 70% of this work is just about awareness because without awareness, I struggle and I survive my life. If I, if I have no awareness, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to suffer through it. I don't know what's going on. The minute I have awareness, I'm now at choice for how I want to shift. So now I have power, you know? So the minute I have that choice point of like, okay, do I want to, okay, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling not great. I'm going to, into this conversation right now and I'm bringing all this negative energy with me. Like the minute I'm aware that I'm not showing up how I want to show up, I am now in a position of power because it is a choice to shift that and to then bring a different energy into this. I think the awareness so, is um, to the ability to shift because I think most of the time people will be aware that they're in a certain state and maybe yeah. even uh, sort of be frustrated about that. But I think that what, what you're bringing to the table is the awareness uh, that it's possible to actually, it's a choice. It, whether choice. they want to show up in that state or whether yeah. they want to actually be, become something else. Oh my gosh, for sure. And what I love about that choice is that our brain, so in Contagious You, we spent an entire chapter on the science of showing up. And what we found, I worked with a neuroscientist for that chapter. And what we found is that at every moment, we're making a choice. Whatever choice I make, it's called a choice point. Whatever choice I make, I'm going to build my neural pathways to repeat that choice over and over again. But it's like, so it's I'm, easier. I'm, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. I just, I just think it's easier uh, to be aware and to make those choices uh, when you're okay. But if you're like in a very bad mood or you're having a very bad day or something dramatic has happened or you're just yeah. super upset, then, yeah. you know, it sounds almost theoretical and it sounds like, yeah, it's, it, she might be right, but, uh, but I can't even pay attention to that right now. I'm just, I'm too, I'm too worried. I'm too upset. I'm too hysterical. I'm the, this is not the time for, uh, for, for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I do. And, and, and I, and I totally agree with you. And, and the other part of that, no, it's really important that you're bringing up is, um, none of this is about doing a spiritual bypass or being a robot, you know? So, so I also, so part of the methodology is emotional authenticity. So if I am in a state where I am super angry and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not able to reboot part of the leadership skill in that is going, okay, awareness that I am super flooded right now. And I actually need support. I actually need to get taken care of. I need to go talk to somebody. I need to go cry my eyes out. I need to like be pissed off for five days, like whatever it is. Part of the leadership is in being aware of that and then honoring that need and giving ourselves full permission to process through it so that we can then clear it authentically and come to the table. Now, when I talk about the presence reboot, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple things like one, if I'm going into like this, this call right now, I could have, if I, if I had a bad morning, I could cancel. I don't, as a leader, we often do not have the opportunity to cancel. We have to show up. So that reboot becomes very important for me to be able to do that. But the other side of that is this, whatever it was that got me so upset before this call, I have to make myself a promise that after this call, I'm going to go call my sister or my therapist or somebody to talk about what just happened. So I give it full permission to, to heal and to, to be addressed because otherwise I'm doing what I always call spiritual bypasses, which means I'm just faking it. And that doesn't work either. That, that is inauthentic. And it is also, it leads to burnout. Although I have so. to share from like my experience that uh, sometimes just being absolutely present in a moment is enough. Yeah. 
you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, whatever issue you're dealing with, most of the time it's not current, like it's not happening right. as we speak, like it's not a matter yeah. of fight or flight. So it's yeah. sometimes healthy to sort of postpone dealing with it, just focus and be completely absorbed in something else and revisit yeah. that. And sometimes just being able to do that pause uh, yeah. or rebooting, as you would call it, I think, then I think yeah. that's sometimes enough. Uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes progress towards actually solving that other mental state. Oh, for sure. There's um, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, one thing, if we really allow ourselves to have our authentic emotion and emotionally last 60 to 90 seconds. So if I really allow myself to go, wow, I'm really sad right now that whatever just happened, like, you know, whatever I, I allow myself and I allow myself the emotion, it's 60, 90 seconds where we mess ourselves up is where we go. Not going to feel it. Not going to feel it. Not going to feel it. Or I keep telling the story over and over and over again. Like, Oh, no, one was really mean to me this morning. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? every time I tell that story and I don't give myself full permission to actually just feel it and process it and be done with it. I'm repeating it. And so I extend that emotion. So denying the emotion or extending the emotion is what actually keeps us in that state for longer. And it's also what we think about. So if I think that what happened this morning was so terrible and I start to let my mind go off and make up stories, I'm going to prolong a negative state. But if I go, wow, that happened this morning, you know what? That kind of sucked. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get present right now. What's happening right now? I'm with, I'm with you guys. Like that's not happening. So here I am. Ooh, in this present moment, there's nothing going on that's stressful. Actually, I'm just here with two other lovely human beings I get to talk with. When we're done with this conversation, if I go back and look at that, I, what you said is right on. I have a different perspective to go, okay, how do I want to deal with that? Now, the other thing that you're speaking to is in the book, I talk about the energetic xylophone, which sometimes it might not be authentic. So let's just say my energy, you know, if we look at the, uh, the xylophone, any xylophone, you know, like ding, 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 right? So yeah. we all have our own energetic xylophones and different emotional states live on the xylophone. So for example, at the top where it's the most clean and clear and lovely might be the, the energetic emotion or the energetic um, or the emotion or the energetic state of like love, amusement, gratitude, uh, contribution. Like we, you know, again, it's different for everybody, but the top are usually more expansive emotions. Then at the bottom are the darker, like the heavier more contract emotions like blame, uh, judgment, you know, anger, um, you know, CYA cover, cover your booty. Like that's a really good one to put at the bottom. Um, you know, like, so again, hundreds and hundreds of different emotions on the spectrum. So if I go in and let's just say I'm coming to this call and I'm in a state of blame, which is lower on my xylophone. I know like if I'm in a state of blame, my energy is contracted Nobody's winning. I'm not fun to be around. Even if I'm like, hey, what's up? And I act like everything's great. If I'm energetically in a state of blame, you guys are going to feel that. So let's just say I'm at a three, okay, on that xylophone, and I want to get up to a 10. Well, for me to go from a three to a 10 may be really inauthentic. So instead, what I want to do is I just want to find what's the next highest state I can reach to reboot to move into this next thing. And for me, we all have our, um, I call them our get out of jail free cards. <laughs> we, all, we all have a couple states that are easy to get to. So for me, I know if I can get to gratitude, like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful we get to have this conversation. Or curiosity, oh, I wonder what we're going to talk about. Or contribution, you know what, I'm here to serve. I'm just going to give them everything I got. If I can get to any of those three states, I genuinely and organically or authentically can come up 
to a higher level. It might only be a seven, but that seven is way better than bringing in a three. And then that seven is kind of like a little uh, guardrail, lifeline, breadcrumb to get me to a next clearer state so that when I'm with you guys, I'm so present and in that state of curiosity or gratitude that automatically I start to shoot up to an even higher level of vibration because I'm here. Would you say that this clarify, uh, classifies under uh, rebooting? Yeah, definitely. It definitely, definitely. It's, there's different levels. So there's like with, a, with the basic reboot, it's just being aware of your presence and then bringing the presence you want to bring. When it gets more challenging, like what we're talking about here, you can bring in other tools. And there's, there's so many, there's, I think there's like 70 tools in the methodology now at this point of like different ways to address the, the reboot. But, but yeah, this would be a deeper thing. I mean, I think the other piece of that or something else that I thought when you guys were talking is important. I, th I think, I think the, the better you are at building your energetic state, which is the second part of the methodology, the better you are at doing that proactively, the more resourceful we are to go ahead and shift it. And sometimes in that reboot, it, the reboot might be, Hey, you know what? I just had a death in the family. Or I just had something really big happen. And I actually do need to cancel this right now because I need to go take care of myself. So it's, Everybody has to listen for themselves what is true and authentic. I am not here telling you guys like override this and override that. It's just awareness. And sometimes the most responsible thing you can do as a leader is actually cancel something because you need to tend to your well-being in order to move to the next step. But how do you implement that in the business? Like, the reboots? Yeah, it's not only reboots, but all that state of mind. Because there's a lot of leaders out there that they have the politics. Like a leader can be a high executive that he has the inner politics. It's really hard to implement it as a business. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, that's, that's why I wrote contagious you because, you know, um, and, and contagious culture, but contagious you even more so because this is all about us individually. This is not about me looking at the leaders in my company going, Oh, they don't do that. So it's going to be hard. It's about, it's about me going, all right, what's, what is it I can do? Because I am the only person I have any control over. I'm it. And so what I have learned is that if every person, anybody that becomes aware of this content or even aware that their presence has impact, If I do my work, then I am more likely to help things go right in the organization and to even inspire that leader who might be like, we don't have time for this, or we got to show up a certain way. Like the more present I am and the more I model that, the more contagious that becomes. And that person is more likely to meet me there. So there's, there's, there's a modeling of it, you know, uh, Ronan, there's a modeling of it, which is like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to hold my space. I'm not going to get sucked into the negativity. So there's modeling of that. There's the um, invitation that can come with modeling. So presence begets more presence. So for with you guys, let's just say the three of us are in a conversation and you guys are both on your phones and, or you're not totally tuned in. The more present I am and the more I hold that space, it's contagious. So you guys are more likely to actually step into that. But if I'm, if one of you is being really negative and I decide not to hold my state anymore and match you instead, now we have a negative contagious spiral and the three of us are going to go down the tubes. So there's the, you know, how do you integrate that in an organization? There's the personal accountability for every single person taking responsibility for how they show up, which to me is the answer. Like that's, that's the biggest thing. But the other thing is, is that from a broader standpoint, you can start to talk to your team or your boss or your whoever about how you feel about the energetic dynamics and how you feel in the organization and what are some things you would love to see different. And that can open up a new conversation around, well, you know, how present are we actually with each other? Mm -hmm. Or do we allow space for emotional authenticity? Like here's something that's really, you know, coming up for us a lot is that we're, you know, we're, we're, we, we bypass the hard stuff or we don't bring 
the real stuff to the table. So can we actually start to create more space for that? There's, it's a conversation that can be had. And what would you, what would you say like is the be, like one of the, your favorite examples of how you implemented something and you saw success around that? So we we had a company that we worked with that they had done a ton of training on, like a ton of leadership development. They'd done Six Sigma. They'd done all these different pieces, and they still were not getting the impact they wanted to have. What they found was that people were doing the training, but they weren't actually shifting the energy. The organization was not shifting. So we went in and we brought the IP methodology into them. We put about 200 of their people through the program. And it's for this case, it was a two-day, there's a two-day intensive we do. We put about 200 people through it. And then what happened was everybody in that, in that group of 200 started to really get that they were the only people they had control over. So there was no point to blame anybody or to look for anybody to do anything differently. It was like, okay, I set the tone. So then we got people practicing being really conscious about their intentions and what they want to have happen their energy and what energy they were bringing in and then their presence, how they were showing up. And once we had them aware of that, they started to show up in a, in a way that created a little bit more space to look at what do they want to create as an organization. So what they did is they went in and they created agreements and they said, all right, here are the things that are most important to us. Time integrity is really important to us. Showing up with clean energy is really important. So they made an agreement as a team that before, and this was only 200 of them. So the company's a lot bigger than that, but they only needed 200 of them to start making a big dent. They, and by the way, you only need one person to make a dent, but in this case, this is 200. So they said, all right, it's really important that we show up with an energetically clean. We're going to do our hygiene. So they made an agreement that before they came into a meeting, they would set their intentions about how they want to show up. They'd be very clear about what the meeting was about and they would take care of themselves. So then they went, well, how do we take care of ourselves better? We don't have time. Our meetings are from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12. So they made an agreement that they would make the meetings 50 minutes. So they would have 10 minutes in between each meeting to go be responsible for going to the bathroom, getting a water, rebooting, doing whatever they needed to do so they could be on time for the next meeting. And then from that place, come into that meeting more intentional and be more productive. And so that's kind of a ripple. And then what ended up happening is, because they did that and they were more present, then they were able to start looking at, well, what other agreements do we need to make around accountability? And in this case, with this particular company, and I actually talk about them in the book, um, they found that they were having a hard time holding accountability because they were also nice to each other. And so not holding accountability is an act of leadership cruelty in my mind, because when I don't hold accountability, now I'm created a lot of ambiguity around expectation stuff doesn't get done. It's super, super muddy and it's easy to start going to blame. So they started to create agreements around what accountability meant and how would they get clear with each other about expectations. So it's just a ripple effect. And ultimately the end result of that was that that company found that by people simply being aware that their presence has impact and taking ownership for what they brought into the room, all the training they had done beforehand started to unlock a new level of return on investment for them because what they realized was they had been doing that training but they were not actually clean on their intentions, their energy and their presence when they were doing the skills they made. So that that's one of my favorites. I mean, I've got, I've got a ton, but that's one of the ones that's most recent that stands out for me. Yeah. It sounds like something that uh, any company should sort of take example from. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, we, we purposely put, you know, 13 different organizations in of all different sizes, all different industries, all different human beings, 
Um, because to me, the most important thing in all of it is that we set the tone, that we take total ownership for how we're showing up. And that ownership might mean I need to go and take a day off. I might need to go get therapy. I might need to start exercising. I might need to start being on time and, and, and holding people accountable. I might need to like, you know, like whatever, whatever it is, it's, if we take that, that is contagious too, because presence begets more presence. Accountability inspires more accountability. You know, uh, kindness is contagious. Like all these things, leadership is contagious. If it's done in a way that has got good IEP, good intentions, good energy, good presence, just like blame is contagious, being late is contagious, non-accountability is like, it's all contagious. So we get to choose, but we, but nobody around, we have no control of anybody around us. So if I want to see the change, it's like Gandhi, you know, you got to be the change you want to see. I just want to uh, tell you just so you don't feel awkward. The reason he keeps like getting, getting in and out of this, uh, the picture is just because he's going to blow his nose and he doesn't want to make sound. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I told you I have a cold. No, just so you don't feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I was, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know how to, how to maintain that face. Because I'm, I'm starting to crunch it. So I, I, I slide away and I come back so that my phone is here. So I, I apologize. This is like, I, I feel like I'm a nine-year-old right now. Like, so oh, you sweetheart. No, that's, thank you so much for telling me that. I was, I was like, okay, is the recording not working? Am I saying something? Is he not wanting to hear it? Is he coming out playing? No, no, no. I just, totally. I, I, I just felt like I have to tell and you please, so you don't think anything. Please, no, I remember to edit that out. <laughs> No, yeah. Well, and, well it's a, no, it's actually an interesting thing though, because here's a, here's what you just did. Now you just addressed the environmental energy happening here because you spoke to, you named something happening in the room, which I was starting to feel, uh, I was starting to really feel that. And I was starting to feel like I got to speed this up and get through this content faster. Cause I think I'm losing him. So that was an assumption that I made, which we do in business, right? You, you guys, that is creating an impact. So you named what's actually happening. So now we can all just be like, oh, okay, he's just got to blow his nose. No big deal. I don't have to make anything. You guys, you know, but that right there is IEP. Right. That right there so, so we're actually lucky this is happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just a, a very good metaphor because now, now what's amazing about that is not only we gave it a good example, but the example is on my, my expense, which is amazing. <laughs> well, and, and here's the other thing. I, I think you should leave this in because here's the other thing. You're blowing your nose. You're taking care of yourself. So you're here. You could have called in sick for this. You didn't have to come. You wanted to be here. You wanted to like bring yourself to this call. So you're fully here. You got to take care of yourself. So you're going to go do that, which is great IEP. And there's also a responsibility that's happening, which is we're naming what's happening so that we eliminate any wasted bandwidth. Because literally what was happening for me is I kept seeing you turn your back and I was like, what's happening over there? And I started to make up, it could be five different things. So my, my uh, emotional and mental bandwidth in this was actually, I was spilling out some over there with what was happening with you, which means you guys didn't get a hundred percent. You guys got like 95% of me. This happens in our day-to-day life every single day. And this is one of the things that if we did that one little tweak, you go into a meeting, you go, hey guys, I just want to let you know, I'm going to blow my nose a couple times today. So when I'm turning away or when I get up to leave the room, I got to leave the room because I got a bladder infection right now. And I got to pee every five minutes. Like naming what is happening and what you're noticing is happening in a room, whether it's blowing your nose or anything else, naming what is happening so that you can release any energy that goes into people starting to speed up or get anxious or whatever. Yeah. That's magic. That's leadership. And that's part of the IEP work. I have to say, you know what? That's an interesting notion. I, cause I love that, but I love that as a leader. 
Okay. And I'll tell you what's, what, what's scary on the other side. I'm trying to use uh, imagination and empathy to, to decide the other side of that, that if I'm working for someone and let's say yeah. my leader hasn't read your amazing book and hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't tried try to apply the, let's call it transparency and the vulnerability yeah. that comes with everything yeah. that you're saying. The employee yeah. has to strategize how to get up the hierarchy, how to work the politics. And sometimes, let's talk about the blowing nose. Now I'm going full force on the blowing nose uh, situation. I'm so grateful for your runny nose today. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm starting to be as well. So I'm like, you know, keep it on coming. Let's go, viruses. <laughs> but but um, at the end of the day, the employee uh, can't show or can is not the word because maybe you'll, you'll explain to me how he can, but it's scary, very fearful for an employee to show weaknesses. Let's, I'll give a different example as, uh, from blowing nose. nose. Uh, the different example is, let's say he's not in a state of mind to work today. Okay. Yeah. And there's a deadline. Yeah. He can't yeah. actually say that. He may can, but he's going to be so fearful that even if he, it's, it's going to be like a leap of faith. Whereas yeah. a leader shows vulnerability, it's like likability. Because if you're, you're a leader and you show that you're also vulnerable and human, yeah. okay, people yeah. will understand that. Also, between you and me, sometimes they don't even have a choice. Yeah, right. So right. On, from a leadership point of mind, I really understand that. Do you believe on that on the other side? With, with an employee who's not a leader? Yes. Well, well I, I think, so I think that every single person is a leader. I think that leadership's a choice. So whether you're an employee or you're the CEO of the company or you're the janitor or you're a stay-at-home parent, I, I hold that leadership is something that we choose to do because if we're, if we're not leading our lives, then who is? So I just want to like insert that in just a little bit. Now, what you're talking about is you're talking about hierarchy. You're talking about hierarchy. So that employee has someone they're reporting to. And I think that, um, God, there's so, there's so much, there's, my brain just went in 10 different directions with what you just offered because so for that employee, I believe there's a couple things. If that employee wants to be a leader in their life, there's a leadership act, which is like, wow, I really don't feel like working today, but we have this deadline. Okay. Well, the leadership in that is do whatever energetic hygiene you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can get in and you can get your job done. So there's actually, it's not, it's not just like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this today. Cause I just don't feel like it. It's the, the actual leadership is, okay, I don't feel like it, but we've got this, we've got this thing to do. And so I am going to reboot. I'm going to go take a break. I'm going to go take a walk real quick, you know, whatever. That, that's the leadership. The other leadership in that might be saying to the team and being really honest, and I'm the employee. So you're, you're my boss. Okay, Ronan. Saying to the team, gosh, you know what? I'm, I'm really uh, glad that we have the opportunity for this project. I am really feeling low motivation today. And I'm also going to take care of myself so I can get back in here and get this job done. Here's some support that I need. Could somebody talk to me for five minutes about and remind me why we're doing this work? Right. So there's, there's a, that employee there. I do believe that it's possible to be really real. I, I think that, and you guys know this, and this is your whole show, that authenticity and telling the truth creates more authenticity and telling the truth. It creates permission for the people. And there is a way that when somebody tells the truth about what's going on for them, it releases the energy of like trying to do it right. So even that employee saying, I mean, I've said it to my team before. My, my team has said it like, God, I'm really having a rough day today. Like, you know, I know we're on this deadline, but I got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. I'm here. I'm going to do it. Here's some support I need. The, the asking for support is a leadership act. You know, if that boss can be open to, if the leader in the company can be open to going, okay, great. How can I support you? And this is something we see happen all the time. The, the energy check that we'll often have people do, we'll go around and we'll go, okay, 
No, where are you at? Ronan, where are you at? Zero to 10. Let's say Ronan, you say, you know, Anise, I'm at a four. As leader, if I can make that okay, like, wow, okay, I see you're at a four. What do you need to do to shift your state? The minute I insert curiosity and care in that, I promise you, you're at a six or seven now. It's that simple. So I know, I know I'm going in about five different directions with that answer, but does that resonate for you? No, it does. It definitely does. And, and you said before something uh, about having those meetings and you had people observing your own meetings. How did that affect you? And like, how much did that add to you? So if someone gives you feedback on what you can do better. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I often, if I've got a colleague in the room that I really like, I'm, I'm more nervous. And if I, I'm more nervous speaking to a room of 10 people of my closest colleagues who I totally love and respect than I am speaking to a room of 5,000 people who I don't really know. Get that. Okay. There's a vulnerability there. So here, here is, here is the thing that I have found in my life. And I think that this is not, I think I am not alone in this. When I became more committed to impact and doing my craft really well, when I let that be more important, when I let being in service of people and doing my best work be more important than my discomfort <laughs> or my ego and wanting to do things right, that allowed me to be more open to feedback to then have people come sit and observe me and give me honest feedback about what I was doing, what worked really great, what didn't work really great. And so I just want to add that in is that that's an important for anybody who's getting any kind of coaching, performance improvement, you know, you want to increase your superpowers. We're too close to it. We're, we're too close to it for, we're too close to it. It's we're let's just like put the baseline is we're all awesome. We all have our hearts and our expertise, but we're too close to ourselves often to see what are my blind spots and what are my edges around this? So one, just let that be okay. That's just life. And the fact that we, the fact that you even want to improve means you already have major superpowers because some people don't care. Like that's the fact that you even care about it is a big deal. So one, you're too close to it. So then be willing to get asked for help. And then if it's scary and daunting, like let that be okay too. It's scary and daunting because you know, our egos are all alive and well, and we care a lot about what we're doing. And so if we can then focus on, well, what is the intention I have? Well, in my case, anytime I get feedback, anytime I build a new part of the methodology, anytime I put anything out there, my intention is I want to be as useful and helpful as possible. And so therefore, I'm going to do the very best I can right now with exactly what I have, the knowledge I have, and my own skill set. I'm going to do my very, very best. I'm going to put it out there. And then I'm going to ask for support to help me make it even better. And if my intention is truly of service versus of me looking good, that becomes a lot easier. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. The minute I make it about me and me looking good or me being a good this or me being a good that, I, I'm cooked. It's done. Like I can only go so far because I'm, my ego is going to confine that. And I'm, I'm going to be in a state of fear. If I make it about being in service of and doing my very best and just trusting, like, and you should doing the best you can right now, let's make it even better. Now I've got expansion. I can see things. And when people give me feedback, I can handle it a lot easier and I can actually convert it. There's a greater cause. There's a greater cause. And then also if you're tuned in to that greater cause, then it also makes it easier to notice what feedback is useful versus what feedback's not, right? Because you're more tuned in to what is going to be in service of. But all of what we're talking about, it becomes easier the more we take care of ourselves. And that's that second part of the methodology is building a strong energetic foundation. And that is where our nutrition comes in hand, our sleep, our self-care, our exercise, our self-talk. All of these things, every single thing that we're doing is either uh, building our energetic field and making us stronger and more conscious, or it's depleting it and making us more 
uh, or less grounded and more exhausted. And so I want to pay attention to everything I do proactively for myself to set myself up. Because if myself, if I'm exhausted, I'm going to be more in a state of ego. I'm going to be more in a state of protection. I'm not in my best resource state. So if I can take care of myself and come in my best resource state, everything that we've talked about to this point becomes so much easier. And I think we also skipped two steps because we started talking about showing up and rebooting. And yeah, then yeah. what are the next ones? Okay. Well, the next one is building a strong energetic field and, and foundation. So that's the self-care piece. That's, um, that's that, you know, it's, it's everything we just talked about in terms of paying attention to how things make you feel and how do you set yourself up for success? So that is, that is something that is happening in every single moment. I am always this call us being on the thing together, this us being together. This is either adding to my field or depleting from it. To me, this adds to my field. And the reason why it's adding to my field is because I took really good care of myself this morning. I I'm hydrated. I'm present. The only thing on my mind for our entire interview is you two and your audience. That's it. Like everything else is, is, is I've put it out here. The other thing that the reason it's added to my field is because it's in service of my, you know, I'm, I'm here to be in service of your audience. And so that is serving my bigger purpose to help create positive impact in the world. Also, you two are lovely to be hanging out with. So that adds to my field. Oh, stop. If you guys, let's just say, let's just say you two were like sitting over there and you're like, you didn't want me to be on your show. And the whole time you're just like, Oh my gosh, remember that, that would be something that would not be as additive. And so it would become my job as a leader to learn how to be with you, even though you're being really negative with me and to hold my space. So I didn't let that deplete my energy. Right. Wow. It would be a challenge. It's right. But here's the thing. It's totally doable because if I took care of myself before this call, if I'm present and I'm here and I'm working my IEP, you guys can throw anything at me. I mean, it's not going to feel good. I'm not going to love it. I, I'm, I'm, you know, please don't. And I'm going to be better able to hold my state so that when we're, so that I do my very best on this call. And then when we're done, I'm not totally wiped out. Now, if you guys were super, super negative with me, when I left the call, I'd want to go do a quick reboot, bubble up, take care of myself to kind of clear that energy out. But the, the point is, is that the stronger I am in setting myself up on that foundation ahead of time and throughout my life, the more resilient I become and able to reboot and to do whatever I need to do in order to have the best impact possible. I believe in that 100%, by the way. And to, like, to take that to a different world, every athlete or performer, okay, that's exactly that. Like They take care of everything so that they get to that point perfectly focused yes. and energetic and whatever they need. There's no, no reason in the world that, you know, a great performer should do that and not someone who's a leader in any kind of organization. Or a that's, leader, period, right. in life. Yeah, that's, amen. I, I, I mean, you just, you just kind of, that's kind of it. It's, uh, it is our responsibility to take exquisite care of ourselves so that we can lead well in our worlds, right. period. It's the responsibility to not take care of ourselves to me is a form of bad, I guess, bad leadership. It's for, I think of it as violence to not take care of myself and then to go and lead other people and to project my exhaustion on them or my bad attitude or my negative energy. That is an, let's call it an assault. I don't know. I don't know if you guys want to use the word violence in this interview. No, no, I, I, I oh, know we, it. We can use the strong word. It's, it's not violence. It, there's a sense, what, I, I think what you're trying to say, and tell me if I'm wrong, is there's a yeah. sense of a responsibility for a leader. And the sense yes. of, if you're, you're performing, right? It's like yeah. you have a whole team. Let's give it an example. Like um, there's a great singer, okay? There's a responsibility for the whole team that worked the whole year for that performance. 
And if you're not in that state of yeah. mind, then you're irresponsible for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or and even simpler, like, let's just say I'm the leader on the team and I'm going to go and give you, you know, a feedback on your performance. Right. I don't manage myself. I don't manage my energy. I'm not paying. I'm not being intentional with you. I'm not present with you. And I'm bringing and projecting all my stuff from this morning or whatever. And now I'm in a conversation with you about your leadership and your career and or, or anything. And I project my stuff on you. That to me is a form of like, it's a form of violence. It's, it's just, I feel like these are strong words, but I feel very strongly about that. See, people want to write this self-care stuff off. They want to write it off all the time. Oh, I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time for IEP. I'm a leader. I got, you know, this is a soft stuff. I don't want it. And to me, like I, I get it. I really, really get it. But I also see that it is such an important part of what, helps other people around us grow and how we get our best results. It, it's so important that we bring, that we do take care of ourselves so that we can serve and lead to our best our capacity. And not only for other people, but for ourselves, because at the end of the day, if I'm wiped out and I leave my job, you know, I leave my day and I go home to my, my partner and my kids and whoever, and I'm totally exhausted and I project more stuff on them, I'm creating more negative impact. So it comes back. I always come back to how are you taking care of yourself and how are you setting yourself up from an intentional energetic present standpoint so you can do your very, very best. And when your very best doesn't happen, so you can recover quickly and learn from it and get back out there and serve. And it's, again, it's not just about service. It's also about us being really happy too. You know, it's, um, you know, I don't remember if you, when we were inbound, I talked about the leadership trifecta and um, the leadership trifecta is that what I found over years and years of doing this work is that there's three things that we have to have. We, we've got to have these three things intact in order to lead at our best. And um, I noticed that there were three kinds of leaders that were coming to me. And the first leader was the person who they had great impact. You know, they got their job done. They made good money for the company. They, you know, had all these credentials, you know, super, super awesome. However, they're super burnt out they're not taking care of themselves. Their marriages are falling apart. Their health is not doing great. It's not sustainable. So in that case, they've got the impact piece down, but they didn't have the self-care piece down. That is not a sustainable model. Like to me, it's not interesting that we live in a world where we're all having a ton of impact, but we're burnout. Not interesting. Right. And there was another leader who has the self-care down. You know, they work nine to five. They have perfect work-life balance. They eat whole foods every day. They go to yoga every day. Like really, really great self-care. However, not effective at having impact or weren't paying attention to the impact they were having. And so now you've got self-care, but without impact. That also is not sustainable because I'm, I'm also not interested in a world where we all take great care of ourselves, but we don't care about impact. <laughs> like we don't do anything to actually make things happen. And what's so the third thing? The third thing is uh, the people component. So there was a third leader who would come and they would have impact down and self-care down. So making great results, take great care of themselves but they leave dead bodies everywhere they go. You know, they're, they're, um, they're the people that work for them, work for them because they have to, not because they want to. They're not inspired. They're exhausted. The leader is getting the results that they're getting at the expense of the human beings. And so with that one, we need to have, you, you got to have all three. We've got to be able to create impact, take care of ourselves and meet people where they're at and show up in a way that actually inspires them to be with us. And if you get that trifecta going, then you've got a chance of more sustainable and thriving leadership. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I want to also close the, the previous circle. So yeah. you show up, you reboot, you take care you of yourself, and? Yep. 
And the last one, oh, thank you for bringing it back. The last one is you create intentional impact. So reboot your presence, build a strong energetic field. That's number two. Create intentional impact, which is number three. Now, intentional impact, there's actually a five steps to creating intentional impact framework where I take people through and we go deep into this in my books, but it's like you look at, all right, if I'm gonna, if I wanna create, if I wanna create an outcome for this conversation that we're having or a conversation with my child, like maybe I need to talk to my child about something really tender. You know, like I've got two teenagers. There's a lot of tender conversations when your kids are teenagers. It's, you know, so I, so I'm using my stuff all the time, but you know, or maybe I have a board meeting that I'm running or we're starting a project. If I can go in and apply these five steps and really make myself work myself through them, then I'm more likely to create the intentional impact. Um, do you want the five steps? Yes, please. I wasn't sure if you wanted it to be a mystery. Uh, so, all right. So creating intentional impact. The first thing that you look at for your meeting, your conversation, whatever your day, because I also do this for my day. In fact, we've got these IEP sheets. Uh, well, and I'll give you a link. You guys, your, your audience can download these. Oh, perfect. Um, but uh, you know, I, I do, I do one of these every single morning. And so, or on my best mornings, not always. And if I don't do it, I notice a difference by the way. So the first step of creating intentional impact is you look at, all right, for this meeting, what are the outcomes I want to create? And an outcome is what I want to have done at the end that would not have happened had I not had this meeting, right? So what are my outcomes? Very, very clear outcomes. The next thing you look at is what is the emotional impact I want to create? So this is how do I want them to feel in the conversation and how do I want to feel? And I can't control it. I can't control how they feel, but I can set an intention for how I want them to feel. I'm more likely to have to create that if I'm intentional about it. The third thing that I look at is how will I have to show up in order to create those outcomes and have that impact? So how will I have to show up? You know, it's what's my presence going to be? What's my um, tone of voice? You know, it might be what I'm wearing. It might be, you know, that I'm going to come from a state of curiosity, um, you know, service, like whatever. How do I have to show up? The fourth step is what will I have to believe in order to show up that way congruently? So this is a really big one. This is one that people are like, oh, I know what my beliefs are. No, 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 no. Go back. I've been teaching this work for 20 years. I still have to do this for myself every day. What will I have to believe to show up that way? So for example, if I want to show up in a way that is being in service of, and I'm really happy to be here, what do I have to believe in order to do that? Well, I'm going to have to believe that you guys want me here. I'm going to have to believe that this content is meaningful and that it's useful to anybody that's listening to it if they want it. I'm going to have to believe that I'm the right person to be having this conversation with you right now. Um, I'm going to have to believe in the product if I'm selling a product. Like, what do I have to actually believe? If I'm giving someone feedback, I have to believe in that person. You know, I have to believe, or even if I can't believe in them, let's just say I don't even like that person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't actually believe they can do the thing I'm giving them the feedback on. Well, I can surely believe that they're a human being. I can surely believe that I'm going to give it all my best and that I'm going to give them a space to step into. So there's, there's like really getting curious about what do I have to believe in order to do that? And then the fifth step is um, what do I have to actually do? And that's where we go, well, show up for the call on time, prepare for your meeting, uh, do a follow-up. Like the fifth step, ironically, is the easiest if you've got the first four done. If you don't believe, I mean, you're, you're bringing stuff up that could be the root for insecurities. So for example, you could believe in all your message and you can believe 
uh, and everything basically that you've detailed when you gave the example of this uh, interview, but maybe you're insecure, uh, and I think a lot of people would, would find this uh, something that they can relate to, and, but th- that they just feel like they're not the right person. They're not good enough. Right. So, I mean, I've walked into rooms before where I haven't been able to align with everybody wants me here because I know that they don't. So for me to go, I believe that everybody wants me to be here. We're going to have a great day. And this can be a great, great, awesome, easy session. That would be an inauthentic belief. If I am trying to hook onto that, you know, there's a whole like fake it till you make it. I can play into that a little bit, but if I really want to go in congruently, if I check myself and I'm honest, I go, okay, well, actually I don't believe that they really actually want me here. I don't believe this is going to be the easiest day. I still can look at what is the littlest thing I can believe that is going to help me show up okay. in this room authentically. And so in that case, the belief, and, and I've, I've done this before, the belief might be, well, I believe that there is something in this content for every human being, even though they might not realize it right now, they might not even realize it for five years from now. And so if I can believe that, that gives me a little bit more strength going in. Or if I can believe that, you know what? I believe that I've done my best to prepare for this and I'm going to give it a hundred percent. I'm congruent there. So you're like not the belief, the police of beliefs. You're not saying what you have to believe in order for it to succeed maybe, but you're sort of saying what you, what what is the minimal amount of beliefs that you need in order to make this a success? Yeah. And I, and I think it could be both Noah. I think, I mean, I've done it both ways. I've done it where I'm like, all right, well, what do I have? What do I have? Cause the way I phrase it is what do I have to believe. So if I go through that and I go, what do I have to believe? I'm naming my beliefs. If I find a belief that in my system creates contraction, I'm like, oh, I don't really believe that. I might go, all right, Anise, do you want to adopt that belief and kind of fake it till you make it? Because that can work really well for me too. I might adopt a belief like, you know what? I believe everyone wants, everyone wants me to be here. I might be totally wrong, but adopting that belief might give me enough uh, energy and strength to actually change their minds it might it might it'll, it'll help me be more resilient if they don't want me there you can say uh, that oppositely so, you can say that if you don't you can say that oppositely that if you don't have that belief for sure no one will want you there at least now you have a minimum chance of succeeding yeah for sure for sure and so yeah for sure so i would offer it's like you know what do i have to believe and then if i really can't believe that what's the smallest thing i could believe to me, the beliefs one is really about that. Number four is really about getting really clear about what do I actually believe about this? And you know, I'll give you an example. So I had a, a group that we were working with and they kept hitting a snag. And when I took them through the five steps to intentional impact and they got down to number four, they were, they were going into, um, they're going in to meet with a client to sell at the final stages of the work. And they were not in alignment as a team. So what I did is I sat down with them and I said, all right, you guys keep hitting the snag. Let's look at what's going on with your five substantial impact. So with this meeting you're going into right after the session, you know, what are the outcomes? Great. Got that outcomes. Pretty good. Uh, what is the emotional impact you want? Good. Okay, great. How do you have to show up? Okay, great. You have to show up as a team. You have to show up aligned, blah, blah, blah. What do you have to believe in order to show up as aligned? And that's where it all fell apart. Because what we found was that, um, there were some team dynamics where they weren't believing they were not believing necessarily in the abilities of the team to do the work that they were saying they were going to do. We had one person on the team who actually didn't believe in the product that they were representing. We had, uh, you know, so, so just those two, like I'll just leave it there. Like just those two, not believing in their capacity to do it, not believing in the product. They were not going to have a good meeting going into that right. 
they were not. Were you able to save it then? They were able to save it. Yeah. Because what we did is it ended up taking more time, but it was worth it because we ended up going, all right, well, if you don't believe in the product, what would need to be present for you to believe in that product? And that opened up a really interesting conversation. And all it was, was they needed to change some of the messaging around the way they were doing the product because they didn't believe product was going to be able to do all the stuff they were saying. So they're like, well, actually, if we just said, you know, it can do three of these things versus five of these things, that helps us be more congruent. And if those other two things happen, great bonus, we just create a bonus, but at least I can believe in these three. And the thing about the dynamics of believing in each other, that just was naming what's going on in that room that had them doubting the abilities of them to do that. Once they named that, they're like, well, I don't believe, you know, example, like, okay, Clyde, I don't believe that you're good at follow through. So I don't think we're going to do this. Great. What kind of agreements do we need to put in place so that Clyde is really good at follow through? And oh, by the way, who can help him with that? So every single thing in any of this stuff, every single thing, if you can, if you can awaken the conversation and be really present to what is going on on the team, every single thing is just another opportunity for the next level of communication so that anything can be figured out. But if they had gone in with that energy, not in alignment, not believing it, I don't care how great all their stuff was or even their actions, there would be a way that the client would not feel that and they would not, and they'd be, they'd probably be more exhausted. So doing that, they were able to go on a little bit cleaner, better agreements. They go on more congruent. They get the final part of the deal. Client's happy, blah, blah, blah. So does that make sense? It does. And tell me, what would you say your superpower is my superpower. Yep. My superpower is devotion. Explain. I love superpowers. There's, there's, there's 21 superpowers I talk about in the book. And then there's superpowers throughout the book. But I, but the reason I bring it up is because I love superpowers. Um, I have, I have an ability to see, I can see any side of anything. Like I've got the ability to see something and I, and I can very quickly look at where people are coming from and why and, and the energy of that, the impact that has when, when there's differences in the room. So that's a superpower. Um, I have the ability to love people really, really quick. So I can love any human being fast, no matter where they're coming from and see their heart and what they're wanting to create and why they might be showing up the way they're showing. I've got a superpower there. My superpower to devotion, Ronan, that is um, devotion to me means um, a level of presence and a level of care about doing whatever needs to be done in order to create the impact you want. And so I think of that as devotion. I, I so much so I have it actually on my wrist. I've got it tattooed on my wrist. Devotion. Oh, awesome! I have to say, I I'm loving your I'm loving your superpowers. By the way, like we actually ask this question every time because yeah. we also believe, like you do, that everybody has his unique special ability superpower at least one. There's no such species. Yeah. Like they may not know it, they may not see it on themselves, but they do have that. And I loved yours, by the way, because the first one is a definite superpower that I've seen a lot of times, seeing the room really quickly and understanding the, I call it empathy, yeah. but trying to be in everybody's shoes and understanding yeah. dynamics. And, yeah. and and that has to do with charisma as well. So I've, I've seen that superpower. No one named it. So I, I love that. Yeah. And, uh, and the devotion, I love that as also a belief of a superpower. So even if that's not real, but you want that to be your superpower, that's still the devotion, yeah. which is your superpower. I love that. That's right. And, and right. a kryptonite? My kryptonite. Oh, my kryptonite is flexibility. You're not? No, I am. Oh, uh, why is that bad? 
too flexible. Too, I, I really work on this one. I really work on managing this one. So here's the thing. So on the other side of my superpowers, any superpower done overdone or done unconsciously becomes kryptonite. So devotion, if I'm not paying attention to that and I let, and I just get swallowed up in it, that means sometimes I might work too much to make something happen. And so I have to be really pay attention to that with flexibility, which is also one of my superpowers. Um, flexibility is great, but what the kryptonite side of it is, is that that means I might be so flexible that I get, like, I try and make everybody happier. I try and make something work for everybody. And then what happens is that creates more confusion and it doesn't hold as strong of a leadership container for people. Yes. It, it actually uses, it means that your energy, in my opinion, yeah. is the construct of what everything's standing on. And then this is not a real uh, environment. It's just the environment that you made. Like, yeah. I get that one. Totally. Yeah. I totally yeah, get that one. I mean, flexibility is a good one. This is one I've worked on for a long time because I realized like originally where I was coming from is I want to, I want to be flexible. And, and I also, this flexibility ties into my ability to see the side of anything, you know, flexibility ties to my ability to my superpower being able to love people really quick. That also can be kryptonite because, because I can see the good so quick that can sometimes mean that I don't see the bad and I don't hold accountability to the bad as quickly. So every single one of these is something that it, it ha you have to stay conscious with your superpowers and continue to use them intentionally. Otherwise, they can, in my experience, ripple out to be kryptonite. Wow, Interesting. I, I we really never heard that. that. Yeah. No, I really love that. No, I, I have to say, I feel some of what you're saying. I understand the characteristics and I really love them because the, it, it, it's very, very true. And the best sentence ever was uh, uh, a superpower, if you use it too much, okay, it can be uh, – that's 100% super – Super great uh, and uh, really smart. I love that. It's like as a dimension to the way we look at superpowers in general. No, I love that. That's a, that's really yeah. cool. I think it's a really interesting exercise to when you ask people people super when you look at your superpowers to to follow that through and go okay how does that become your kryptonite? Right, right. In the book, you know, I talk about I talk about I give thirty one forms of kryptonite that we do all the time that often come off of our superpowers, and so. You know, so, so definitely look at that because I think that could be an interesting thing for you guys on your show to start asking people, okay, how does your superpower eventually transfer over to kryptonite? Definitely. Yes. I, I'm actually, yeah. while, while I'm sorry I'm not present, but I'm actually asking that question myself right now. I love that. Yeah. And well, what are you finding? Well, what, are you, I, what are you finding? I have, no, I have no answer because I'm taking your first lesson of actually being present and then I'm breathing and taking it away. So I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of confused what to use first from this conversation, which is exciting. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, uh, like, look at authenticity, superpower of authenticity, right? Let's, let's play that one through. How does authenticity turn into kryptonite if it's used unintentionally or overdone? Oh, I have a really easy answer to that. You sometimes just become uh, too transparent uh, to your uh, weaknesses in uh, circumstances where it's just not, uh, you, there's no need for that. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're right. Or, or you go in and you vomit your stuff all over your team, which they, you're like, well, I'm just being real. I mean, I've had people say to me, well, I'm an authentic jerk. Like, what do I do with that? I'm like, okay, well, does that, does that really serve what you're trying to do in the world? You know, it's time integrity is an interesting one. You know, I know people who have a real superpower on being on time. Like they really, they really want to honor time. Well, that's lovely overdone. What that does is it makes them very rigid and like, uh, inflexible. 
And so that all, and then not tolerant around any kind of humanness around time integrity. And so it's like any single superpower overdone or unconscious will become kryptonite. Amazing. I love it. Amazing. And I have to say one more thing before we finish off. The most beautiful thing that I got also for the conversation is really cool story that you told because at the end of the day, everything that you're doing in life is that same girl that's 14 year old in Baskin Robbins because when you were sitting and giving out that, uh, you know, that ice cream, double chocolate, was it? World class chocolate. World class chocolate. Then what you did is you had a hard time and you, you you breathed for a second and you made yourself in the present also concluding that what you want to have the... Uh, output of that situation or in, or in that life and saying, I'm going to take this and use this. You took that breath and decided. And from that moment, you put yourself in that state of mind, which is actually what you're doing your whole life, which is yeah. unbelievable that you found that out. And it's very inspiring to understand that that little moment of a decision just to going out of the counter, which it sounds like Baskin Robbins isn't important. I'm such a child. How yeah. does that affect me? Is that the feeling that you had is the feeling that you were inspired to find all the time uh, reoccurring, which yeah. is amazing. And, um, and I'm really happy that this is also what you're trying to impact the world from that same feeling. So we thank you for that. Thank you for that reflection. That's um, it's true. I am, I am still that little 14 year old girl. <laughs> Paying it forward and eating as much world-class chocolate as I possibly can. <laughs> Baskin, go Baskin Robbins. Right. I know. I really should reach out to them. I don't tell that story very often. I, I tell that story like when it comes up organically. And um, I appreciate that reflection, Ronan. I think that every moment of our lives is a choice point. Every moment we're given choice points of, do I want to go this way or do I want to go that way? And whatever we choose is what we make stronger. And so it's, you know, the superpower, superpower of deciding that's a superpower. It's, I write about that in the book. It's like the superpower of deciding as soon as you have awareness, you're now at choice. Now you get to choose and you get to decide what you want to do. That, that to me, those, that's kind of all of it. Because as soon as I'm deciding that, that takes me to the next step. And if you know, the, the, the Latin word of decide, it means to kill off. When I decide to do something, it means I am eliminating the option to not do it. So if I'm deciding to be happy, I'm like, you know what? Not happy. It's not, it's not a good plan B. I'm not going to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have authentic hard days, hard periods of time in my life, like at all. But it's, I have to choose in that to make sure I get support so that I can fully have that hard time in my life and learn from it and heal from it and integrate it so I can keep going forward with my life. Yeah, it's something to always remind ourselves, I think. Yeah, so. <laughs> to say the least. So that's 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 that. Well, real quick, real quick, because I promise, I just realized I promised you guys a link. So your people can go to IEP.io. If they go to IEP.io, that's where the secret pages that has the IEP sheet. It has um, downloads, all sorts of stuff. We don't, you know, it's it's free. We just want people to have it and to use it, and then they can find me out in um, like Twitter and all that stuff on Anise Kavanaugh or Anise Kavanaugh.com. It's like, I'm, I'm, we keep it pretty simple. And then also but, they uh, can just, uh, you know, go and buy uh, a version of uh, both the new book uh, and the previous one. Yes, please do. Yes, please. I, I want, I want that book. My, my whole heart wants that book in as many hearts, heads and hands as possible because I, I want us to all, I want us to all work on being more contagious together and really enjoying our lives. Like, We got to enjoy our lives. It does not have to be hard and stressful. Hard and stressful stuff happens and it's still 
do really great things with that. So, so thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. We have so much uh, food for thought right now. Real life superpowers. Technology. It's alive! Real. Live. Superpowers.